Hey, everybody, it's Jeff. So, you know that feeling of getting into a rut or feeling like you're trying to mix your way out of a hole that you've dug? Well, we've all been there. And in fact, if you're a regular podcast listener, you might remember this conversation with Lee about a friend of ours who challenged him on his mix not being quite as good as it used to be. Well, we tried to do something about that. So we've created a bunch of content in MXU Now that basically is a session from Lee's Garage where we tried to figure out what was happening to the mix and how to continue to make it better. So if you're not an MXU Now subscriber, you need to go sign up today because that content is the next stuff that's coming to the site. And you're not going to want to miss those conversations. You're certainly not going to want to miss what we learned in trying to unravel those things. So sign up today. We can't wait to see you there. All right, let's get to the podcast. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, here we go, everybody. Episode 52 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here with my friend Lee Fields, as always. How you doing, Lee? Fantastic. Good. And we are joined today by our two co-hosts, Grace Royce and Jay Desai. What's up? How you doing? Hey, y'all. Good. Well, we decided to do something a little different today. This episode is basically just called Ask MXU. So we reached out earlier this week via Instagram to say, hey, what questions do you have? And we're just going to spend the next however long this takes to burn through as many of these as we can. We loved getting your responses and we got some really great questions and not too many stupid ones. So we're excited. Yeah. And we have our experts here. So yeah. So as we said, before we started recording, Grace is going to handle all the tough stuff about life and leadership. Jay's going to answer all of our ethnic food questions. And so that led to us talking about some recipes and I'm just so hungry right now because I want Jay's tikka masala recipe. So that's on the way and I'll probably cook that tonight. You know, what's funny. Please post the video. You said this earlier, Jay, before we recorded that tikka masala, the word tikka just means grilled or roasted. Yeah. Chicken tikka per se is just the like grilled chicken. Yeah. I heard that it was on television or something. Also, also, chicken tikka masala is not Indian. It was invented by a Scottish guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's I'll, hilarious. I'll post Masala that. is just the sauce. Yeah. 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 But all the boys to the Grace end. and I's favorite Indian food is butter chicken. Oh, hands down. I love butter chicken. And well, I those- guarantee you that was invented by an old white lady in Texas or something. That ain't Indian. <laughs> 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 um the pet peeve is when i go to an indian restaurant the butter chicken and the tikka masala are basically the same uh like one shade off on the pantone and basically the same ingredients i get annoyed that's like imposter syndrome yeah one all right well first and most important questions i think is uh somebody wants to know if they can come to lee's house for some barbecue what would you be making for us lee um I think my wife would really freak out if a stranger from the internet showed up in my house. I would love to have you. Um, so you you can come over, but my wife knows how to use my guns. So I don't I don't I don't think that's advisable. But but if we were to come, what would you cook for us? Um, right now, like, am I trying to impress you, or am I trying to? No, we're trying to eat good. Trying to eat good. You know, let me think about that. I. 
I think steaks. I just can't get away from like, like if, if I have to hit a home run, it's steak. But you know what's really awesome? I made the worst steaks I've ever made last week. I tried <laughs> something new. Well, Adam Taylor posted this recipe on his Instagram in stories. And it was a, um, it's like a French sauce, onion based, something with vermouth and uh, cream and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to make this. And my wife had just come home with some steaks. So I was like, okay, I can make this stuff. But I didn't want to go out to the grocery store. And I'm like, I don't think I have all of that. So maybe I can substitute some stuff. So I text Adam. I'm like, hey, I don't have any vermouth. What's a good substitute? And he's like, "Uh, no, you have to have it. You just go to Trader Joe's and get some vermouth. How do you not have vermouth? Do you not drink Negronis? No. (laughs) (laughs) So so I'm like, I start Googling like vermouth substitutes. And he's texting me back, like, I don't know, try white wine. And I'm like, well, I don't have any white wine, but I do have some red wine vinegar. Um, that just completely ruined it. That is not a substitute. (laughs) I completely forgot the pepper, which you need a ton of. And then when it came time to put the cream in the sauce and let it simmer, I didn't have cream. I only had sweet condensed milk. It was this is like so every bad. cooking every cooking mistake with substitutes you could have made. Oh, it's terrible. It was awful. So I would cook steaks, I'd smoke them in the Traeger, and then we would sear them and be happy. Or pulled pork, which Grace yeah. was just talking about making some pulled pork too. Yeah, slow cooked, slow smoked pork butt. It's my, my way to go. Yep. Well, I think we should jump into some of these questions. These are cool. awesome. Um uh, I guess my favorite one that comes up right away is, uh, should I own a mixer to become a pro sound engineer or just volunteer at a church? And I've, I've got a strong opinion about owning gear, but I, I can't wait to hear what you guys think. I got strong opinions on that too. Um, I think you should never buy gear. Amen. I think 99.99% of people should not buy gear. Like, the people that are buying consoles for themselves are entrepreneurs. I would treat that as a separate business entity. Like I'm an audio engineer and I rent gear out. Those are separate. They don't go together. So like, even if you were to ask like Pooch owns his console and he's owned consoles before. However, when you're set up on long-term tours and have contracts, you, you can make money that way. So that is a significant investment. I mean, some consoles can cost as much as your house or more, but small consoles, like if we're talking about like going to guitar center and buying a console, I wouldn't do that either because you can now download free software that does the same thing and you can learn the principles of it for free with Reaper. You know what I mean? That's my thoughts. And I don't know what town you're in, but I don't, I don't know a town that doesn't have rehearsal spaces and doesn't have groups of people working in rental houses and tons of gear sitting around and you'll spend a lot less money and get a better education if you start renting some of these pieces hooking them up to um, virtual playback and partying on those with a group of friends than if you were to just buy one and then pigeonhole yourself into something that it's going to cost you money to update and who knows if anyone ever wants to rent it from you, the band you may hook up with or the church you may hook up with may want nothing to do with that brand. 
That's true. Uh, or you could start volunteering at a great church that has the gear and use theirs for free. I think the scary part though is, is like if you own it, like I would like to ask Mr. Pooch, what happens if his console goes down in the middle of a tour and he owns it? Yeah, I think you're liable for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So if for if, the record, I own a console, but that's more because Waves had a twenty nine ninety nine dollar special one day, and I bought one. Well, and I have one too. I have the LV one, like Jay does, and I think for that that kind of console is a little bit different. I mean, Jay, you can stick it under your arm and go to a corporate event and be totally self-contained, which, which is, I did this week. Yeah, which is a good application. I don't think I would ever own a large format console, mostly because, I mean, two two main factors. One, you might get eclipsed in terms of feature set and you know technology and all the stuff that's coming next, and you don't want to be stuck in five years ago's model. And then the other thing is the liability. Like if if it goes down, you don't have the umbrella of a production company that has five more in the warehouse that they can send it out for the next day. I mean, you're you're going to be stuck having to go to one of those places to rent a replacement or whatever, and it's just too much risk. I'd I'd, I'd have a hard time sleeping at night. Hard pass. I'm going to note next to that question: Mr. Pooch is wrong. <laughs> he's probably not but he's, probably he's never not. wrong well and he's he's kind of got the vip treatment from these manufacturers right. in the sense that he can you know like the owner of a higher up mercedes benz call call the manufacturer tell him he's having an issue and somebody will get on a plane with the part and show up so right unless you've got that kind of client that you can really pull it off I'd never recommend, uh, but I do know people like Pooch who have uh, who have rented it to their bands, paid it off, made money, and actually saved their bands money. But you got to invest in something really good, which means really expensive. Yeah, one of the first stories I ever heard about that was actually um, the guy who mixed for Huey Lewis in the news way back in the day. In the rider for the band, he had specified a particular modded out version of a pretty boutique console and he was the owner of the only one of that kind so he got his day rate or weekly rate or whatever and then per show got a console rental rate every time they went out so you know to your point about being an entrepreneurial move i mean it's a pretty shrewd thing but it's like you're rolling the dice and you may get lucky and you may not so the heart of rock and roll is still beating. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're the console, Jay and Jeff, that you're on. Uh, one of our questions is what what made you choose your present console? Those are like controllers for a software system that you're pretty dependent on. Is that right? So the LV1 is a plug-in based, software-based mixer. Um, so yeah, it is. I mean, it's, but every console is kind of that nowadays. I mean, it's right. a, interface for a computer brain so my interface just happens to be a touchscreen deal i think if you took apart a large format console you would find the components that that make up an lv1 per se in a smaller lv1 being a smaller console it's a screen it has a processor there's a server for the plugins they just took away the casing and all that and made it very uh specialized and modular it caps at 64 channels so that's your limit there i don't know 64 sources i want to listen to so 
<laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I can't imagine needing 256 inputs ever, but that's just me. Um, I bought it for the same reason Mr. Pooch did. There was a tour that it worked really well on, and it was opportunity. But I never, if someone asked me to go mix, I don't ever insist it comes with me, or I only mix on that. And there are people that know that I have it sometimes call for both. Sometimes people just want the desk and not me. I can't imagine Lee, you're Yamaha, right? What, yeah. Why do you why do you love them so much? Um, a couple reasons. And for well, I'm Yamaha, but I'm not really. I mean, I there's a couple consoles that I really love. At the church, we have a ton of Yamaha, so we made a decision at the church, and then I have reasons why I've made a decision to mix on a couple. So I'll tell you both those. The one at the church was because uh, we have eight campuses, and each one of those campuses has multiple rooms with consoles in it and at the time it made the most sense to put everything under one ecosystem that was reliable and volunteer friendly there are multiple manufacturers that you could say that about we just chose yamaha we had a great relationship with them you can get them about anywhere i mean you know there were there's just a lot of reasons and cost was a big reason you know with the the tf series being a couple thousand bucks and now you can have 256 million inputs for you know less than a hundred thousand dollars which that used to be like a quarter million dollars for a console um so just the whole gamut of consoles the usability the reliability that's why we chose that um for me personally mixing i love the yamaha consoles because i know them i think they sound great and they're super reliable like the same reasons but i also love the avid stuff I think the profile surface is the greatest control surface ever made. Still, if I could mix anything, I I would probably choose that console that you just can't get them anymore and they're older and compatibility and stuff like that. But that surface, the profile. I second it's, that. It's unbelievable. Just yeah. how compact it was. You got 32 faders, the encoders, the way, the, I mean, just everything about that thing just felt awesome. Um, and I like the new Avid stuff. They had a few hiccups when that thing first came out, but you know they they got that stuff solved. So I like that stuff too. Um, but I've mixed on every. I won't not mix on anything. You know, I mixed a couple big conferences last year on SD sevens, and I love having over thirty two faders. Like that other group of twelve faders above the center section, that was pretty awesome. And having to being able to put your camera of the monitor guy's face on your console. That's pretty cool too. So <laughs> what about a small format? When you walk into a smaller gig, what do you hope to see? What do you walk in and say, Oh no. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I hate seeing small Midas consoles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're in every single rehearsal space in LA. So you got to learn them. I just don't like setting them up. I don't like patching on them. Yeah. I don't yeah, patching on Midas, especially the pro series to me is like, uh, I, I'm going to let the system tech handle all that because all the ins and outs and the way that's the stupid mouse trackball. Thing, oh my gosh. It's like <laughs> that desk thought, sounds great. It does sound great, but who <laughs> thought that amazing. interface was a good idea? No, I mean, it's terrible. I had to get a piece of paper to patch literally have to get a piece of paper. It's that mouse. It it needs a gallon of baby oil and loosen some screws up on that thing or something. But you can't even do that. Like the the first time I use it, I'm like, can we take this thing off and like loosen things? They're like, no, it's 
It's supposed to do it's that. It's like supposed to be that a way. A gallon, you say, huh? I wonder if they gallon. sell that. I'm going to look up, see if they sell <laughs> a gallon of paper. Is a little um, Yamaha CL then? Is that your buddy? Oh, I mean, you gotta go little. there's nothing I don't know how to do on that console. So I'm probably most comfortable on a CL. It's just. But those are the ones that a, aren't touchscreen, right? So you end up kind of poking at the, the screen. The CL is touchscreen. The QL, the QL is not. QL. Yeah. Yeah. So a QL, if I see that, I get a little frustrated because I end up doing that. Just like tapping the screen. I'm like it doesn't do anything. Um, Dude, for corporate gigs, that console the cl or the yeah. ql is great it's perfect yeah it has auto mixer in it for corporate stuff i mean it's really good and back in the day i did spill almost a whole sierra nevada on a ql and it dried out just fine <laughs> i believe it i totally well, believe that hmm. i'll have to try that <laughs> you can buy a gallon of baby oil wow there you go it's 27 you were googling something good <laughs> 27 dollars what I don't love, and this is just, I, th- I think, uh, I don't know, this is probably going to frustrate some of our users and listeners, but I just, I can't get behind the Behringer stuff. I mean, I know they're everywhere. To me, and just my personal, like when I want to go and poke around and find stuff, it's it just doesn't fit my brain. It's just clunky, and I'm probably in the huge minority, but... I agree with you, but don't you think for the cost and what you get, it's a smart choice for some churches? For, for a lot of people, it is. Yeah. 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 I what, just wish. What would you tell someone to spend or get instead if that was their budget? Nothing. Well, it's tough. I mean, obviously, at that price point, everything has its limitations. Um, but I think, you know, I think the SQ series, Alan and Heath, is probably yeah. the sort of next step. Um, but isn't that you know, still double the cost? It's a, it's it's a lot more, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think in the in the $3,000 console market, I mean, you're yeah. you're kind of stuck. There's a question I think that ties in that says uh our church is just starting to value production. What are the most important first things to learn? People. People. Humans. You, you can't add gear and a bunch of bells and whistles without people to run it. You would never go shopping for an airplane without an airplane license. You know, you gotta, you gotta have a great team of people. And we talked a lot about this on our last episode with Chad and Nick, um, the why behind it. Why are you starting to value production and whose responsibility is it to cast vision for that and, put up some guardrails so that everybody stays going the same direction, chasing after the same thing. That to me would be the most important It's building a great team, casting vision and keeping them all pointed in the same direction and alignment with your worship team and senior leadership. We use gear. We love people, not the other way around. That's we, good. We See, gotta, no, that's why gosh. we have grace. That's all we need. We just, you know, distill it down to one sentence. That'll just kick people in. The I love it. Well, it's been a tough leadership week in my world um, with COVID. I think it's even worse. In in the touring world, we call it drinking the punch or being on the wrong side of the hotel room door when you decide that you're too good uh, for the crew and you're kind of like part of the band, right? Yeah. And in, invincible and can't be fired. And then COVID's done this weird thing where 
Uh, it's like, because the outside world's on fire, you can't get rid of me and I can just do whatever I want. I don't have to follow the rules. I can treat people like crap. And it's been a really interesting week trying to show some people that like, yeah, the world's on fire, but we still got to focus on our values and, um, you can't just, you know, go, go swipe in your credit card on Amazon and get whatever you want for the, uh, for the production team because you want to, you know, there's a, there's a, a way that we do things and there's a reason why we do things. And, uh, we just had a couple people recently on our team that thought they were completely invincible. This question is very timely because I got a call actually last night from a friend who had listened to the podcast and said, hey, I loved what you guys said with Nick and Chad about uh, casting vision and the why and the you know clarifying all that. But we're really struggling because I feel like we have a mission statement, um, but every time we try to implement stuff, I feel like I'm hitting a brick wall with people not understanding that this is aligned to the why that they said we had like for example a few weeks ago they added haze in their lighting rig to make a little more clarity and definition and all the stuff that you would use haze for it was great and then they got a couple of complaints and pastor shuts it down because well we can't do that because people don't like it okay well that's a conversation that needs to happen because most people are probably fine with it but you get one complaint and there's this knee-jerk reaction. So that happens a lot. So what do you say to those guys? Grace, what's the right answer? <laughs> I'm just thinking about like how to how to talk to somebody that's got their brakes on before you even start the conversation. Because I mm, think that's the a ha- good way of putting that. Yeah, it the is. Haze, the haze conversation is just as big as like for some of us, um, you know, this year doing broadcasts. I think that we've tried to get our congregation to see the value in broadcast for a long time. As a as a 15-year touring ding dong, I've always told my church that hey, like people are watching this, like look at your numbers. We need to we need to care what we're posting. And they just kind of ignored it and then COVID pushed us into really having to care about it. So upgrading cameras, upgrading how we're posting to servers and taking it more seriously. Uh, but we don't want to have to wait for being forced into a situation to make those changes, right? You want to be able to come to your leader and say, hey, I've got this vision. Uh, I know I'm the young guy on the block, but uh, this is this is what I see happening. And you want to be heard. And that can be really hard to do when you've got a choir of people emailing in and saying we don't like the haze we or in or in our case uh we had some laser complaints <laughs> you know <laughs> people don't want to see lasers and i guess that's distracting from the gospel somehow so well and i think some of it is it's like people get bogged down on the specific symptom rather than dealing with the problem so it's like maybe haze it may be lasers it might be volume it might be drums without a shield it might be Drums versus electronic drums. Back in the day, it was drums at all, electric guitars at all. It's like, okay, those are just those are just the symptoms of a bigger issue, which is how are we communicating our vision to the people? You know, I told my friend last night, I said, okay, if if the vision for your church is to be impactful in the community in an effective and relevant way, 
then this older person who is complaining has to get behind the fact that we have to use technology sometimes to reach people in those kind of ways. And so if they're brought on board with that to go, hey, I know this isn't your thing, but man, our student ministry is growing and your grandkids who are in middle school are actually being impacted by their small group leader. And we did 50 baptisms last year. So that's because of implementing these tools. So could you partner with us in that part of the mission and maybe just be okay with the 12 minutes of music that you don't like every service because the trade-off is eternally more valuable? But wouldn't you say in your scenario that the the pastor like should be the one having that conversation? Oh, 100%. And that's what I told my friend. I was like, you know, I don't I, there are ways that you can maybe start that conversation, but you don't have the conversation. You obviously it's a partnership between you and the rest of the production folks and your senior leaders and the senior pastor to go, okay, we all need to be aligned around this same trajectory toward the bullseye and the target. And if you don't have that target clarified, then you never know when you hit it and you certainly can't evaluate it when you miss it. That's a real problem. So I think, again, it all goes back to that conversation about just clarity around the win. Let me just throw out some practical tips on when you're changing things. Yeah, Like Hayes is a good example because if you weren't doing Hayes at all ever, and then all of a sudden the next week, it looks like somebody's grilling hot dogs behind the drum kit. <laughs> it's, Wish they were. You know, and like it's a crappy hazer. Well, that's mm-hmm. not going to work. It's going to be so distracting for everyone in there. I probably wouldn't even like that. Right. But if it's a if it's a good hazer that you can just put a little bit in for six months. Yes, I said six months. It might take that long then that might be the way to go. But if you go full on like concert lighting haze levels and then the week before you didn't have any, that's never going to fly. You're, right. I, would have, I would have had expected the response that that person got. Um, I've, our senior pastor says, hey, when we want to change things, it's no problem. Like if we want to change the auditorium, we want to paint it all pink, bright fluorescent bubblegum pink. We can do that as long as we do one square inch per week. You know what I mean? So like if you're if you're wanting to make these drastic changes, and that's pretty drastic. Like Hayes, if you weren't, if you didn't have any before, and then all of a sudden you had it, and this person's been sitting on the front row for seven or eight years, that's that it may be. cause them to endure worship and not participate in it. You know, yeah. so I do think when you want to change things, you just have to be mindful of how you're doing it. But if you do ease it in in that particular case, their first reaction might be, wow, the lighting sure looks better. Right. Instead of what's that fog, right? Yeah, there's it literally looks like a Weber grill backstage. Yeah, that's just good. pumping out those crappy hazers are the worst for that. You'll never be able to use haze if you have a crappy hazer, dude. When it comes out in a clump, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> and it's loud. It's like a cloud. It's like a cloud going across the stage. <laughs> have you guys seen the bubble hazer? No. It yes. launch. It launches these big bubbles and then they're full of haze and then they pop oh oh that's funny i'm surprised bayside didn't have that for one of your getting one and not telling anybody (laughs) that's funny jeff hit the nail on the head though if you come to a an argument or a disagreement from the perspective of kind of like 
backing up, knowing that you're a little techie, you're a little nerdy, you're concentrating on the why of the gear and the why this is going to make it all better, but looking forward into that person's values. And if reaching younger people is a value of theirs and you can help the pastor explain why, yeah, lasers might be a little distracting, but look at the kids. They think it's so cool. Yeah. You know, that can really, that can really be helpful. I like this question about what advice would you give to someone mixing a reverberant 3000 seat venue? Cause I actually grew up mixing something that kind of resembled an air hanger, all concrete floors, parallel walls, shiny and messy. And I would love to hear what you guys do when you go into a space like that. No carpet, no treatment. And it's just like the snare yeah. goes on forever. Gosh, that's a good question. I, if I walk into a big room like that, like I immediately go to the Tacoma Dome. I don't, have you guys mixed in there before? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> it is crazy. It's a 25,000 seat arena. It's almost like a stadium, like a covered stadium. They probably did play football in there, maybe, but it's all wood. So the whole ceiling, all the rafters, everything is wood. And it's these old school, like, fairground bleacher set up it's just oh it's crazy and the reverb in there it's like 40 hertz goes on for like eight seconds or something it's insane so like in a room like that you just go forget everything you know about high pass filters if you have to high pass that kick drum to 100 to keep it under control then by gosh you need to do it and then like the airplane hanger like smaller church concrete floor i just think about okay don't forget the vocals got to be heard like everything you do needs to be about getting clarity out of that vocal or it's just going to sound like i put my hand over the microphone you know so making space for that vocal in those situations is huge you may not even need to use reverb ever i've mixed in arenas before and like not even thought about the verb on the vocal because it was just wild So I think you have to throw out everything that you would normally do and go, what do I need to do to make this effective? And it's like combat audio at that point. It's like, I I got a goal here. There's words people need to hear. There's these melodies that people hear on the radio. How am I going to still get that across when everything else is fighting against me? And if it's a, if it is your permanent facility, even if it's a rental facility, set up, tear down, whatever, you know, I would say let's, figure out a way even if they have to be portable to buy or build some panels or something to add some absorption or diffusion or whatever to to address the acoustics i mean obviously if it's you know there's a festival in do you ever do frenzy festival jay yeah you know you're in this litter it is an airplane hangar some of it is like it's obvious that we're in this space and it is what it is and so you sort of get used to it and your ears kind of adjust and it you know, you can deal with it. But if it's a long-term, like this is our church forever, then at some point you're going to have to address acoustics because it is going to continue to be problematic, especially if there's excessive sub problems because of the acoustics, or, you know, if you can't get any clarity out of the vocal, especially during the talk, you know, things like that. It's like, man, there, there's going to need to be a way to address it long-term, but that's a different conversation. 
Yeah, there's nothing you can do in the console or with microphones to fix it. So if it's your facility, you have to fix that before you even think about what types of microphones you're going to buy or what kind of PA you're going to have. You know, and some churches, some churches right now are like, um, this industrial feel is a value. So I, we want concrete floors and we like the way that that feels and that will get put above, you know, making it sound like a Dolby THX room, you know? And I think that's okay. The environment does, is significant and important to, to the church. So you're going to kind of have to figure out, okay, then what's the acoustics need to be and then decide, okay, what's our PA need to be after that. It's like Seacoast Church in Charleston. Their aesthetic visual value, design-wise, was, gosh, we love this raw concrete look. So the the walls are tilt-up concrete. The stage is concrete. The floor is concrete. Everything in the room. So their approach to acoustics design was way above a lot of other considerations with audio because it was such a priority to keep as much of this visual element as they could. So it's just balancing that. It's, yeah. you, can, you can just get a fatter congregation. The biggest piece <laughs> of advice I gave guest engineers that came into that 3000 cap concrete mess uh, was to mix, mix the stage. You know, we get so comfortable uh, going into a space, playing our favorite song, listening to the PA, tuning it until we're blue in the face. But then does any of that matter when a live instrument on stage, like a snare drum smacks and is 93 decibels at front of house without any PA right? and goes on forever and ever and ever. So I would always ask guest engineers to consider two factors. One, uh, don't fight the stage, mix the stage. Yeah, it's good. So you think you got it all figured out. Great. Turn off the PA and listen to the band in the room as is. Then go ahead and start sneaking things back in and mixing to that stage. And the other thing, like Jay hit on, when you get 3,000 water bags in there after uh, after doors, you're going to have a whole different room. So all those things that you thought were so fancy that you did, all those cuts you made to your crossover cleaning up the PA, you might as well just flatten it and start over because you've never heard this room before. And everything you did during soundtrack is null and void, especially with a room like that. So that kind of parlays into our next question. Um, Do you guys tune your PA flat? And then he adds with a subwoofer boost or a native speaker response. What's your mode when you walk into either your room or a new room? Uh, what do you listen for? Is there a song you, you hit at the top of your playlist every time? Yep, that's a good question. So when we're talking tuning PA, I think I stole this term from Robert Scoville, and I'm more interested in the toning portion of the PA, but I'm going to assume that, or not assume, demand maybe, that everything is in time and in phase and happy with each other before I start thinking about what it's going to sound like. So when we're talking about tuning a PA, that is more uh, time alignment, speaker position, are all the seats covered, houses deployed, all of that. And then toning the PA, what do I want this to sound like? Um, 
And for me, that's, I don't think I've changed a lot on this, but maybe, maybe I guess I have a little bit, I used to want that just really haystacked lots of low end, but maybe not as much anymore. I'm using EQ on inputs to get more low end now, but I don't want it flat. I think flat sounding PA sound terrible. It sounds like, yeah, studio monitors to me. And I don't think PA should sound like that. I totally agree. I think there are a lot of um, engineers who are more of the linear sort of binary type who think that they have to look at smart and see a sort of flat response in order for it to be, quote, correct. I tend to desire more of a Fletcher Munson curve where it's more emulating human hearing so that there is going to be a target curve that's kind of sloped from high on the left side, sloping down to the right, so that as the frequency increases, the amplitude decreases because that's the way our ears hear. And so um, I want that, I want the toning of the PA to emulate that as best as possible. But I totally agree on the on the tuning part, the primary aspect being time alignment between the subs, side fills, front fills, mains. If that's not right, then you're just going to have smear and it's going to be way more difficult to mix. What would you Do, tell churches that don't have those expertise? Hire somebody for a day to come in and do it because it's so important. Yeah. Or two days, you know, a, a day to get it in time and then a day to get it in tone. And usually those are two different people most of the time. I have not met many people in my life that are good at system design, deployment, and tuning, and then also can throw a band on stage and make it rock and make sure that the system sounds good. Usually those are two different people. That's why you have a system engineer and a mixer. They're, people like Robert are one in a million who do both. But mixers have really strong opinions on how it should be done also because you have to. It's like you can't hand me a toolbox and say, go build this. Like I, if I'm going to build something, I need to know what the tools are and, and how it's all set up. So it could be that it's two people. It could be, um, someone to configure tune correctly and then someone to come in and tone it and mix. And what's your, what's your song? Do you have a song you always listen to? So you I kind do. of get a feel for I, the PA. I think everyone does, but it, it doesn't matter that it's even mixed well. It just matters that you know what it's supposed to sound like. Right. It's not a, I don't use it to manipulate the PA. I use it to make sure that it's correct. Cause I right. know it's if a, this track, yeah, if this track sounds a certain way, I know what the high end should be doing in this so that when I mix, I'll have a good night. So I could tell you what the song is, but I don't think it matters. I think you have to decide for yourself. Yeah. what that's going to be for you. Like what songs do you know the best? And I have several songs. I have one that I use just to check the sub energy. I have yeah. one that I use to check drums. I have one that I use to check vocal clarity. It's just, it's, you know, again, it's recordings that you know inside and out so well that you know when there's a problem, ooh, that's not supposed to sound that way. Yeah, you turn on the speakers and immediately go, what's with the mid-range? Yeah. Right. Yep. And we do have, I believe there's still a Spotify playlist that yeah. is awesome. So email us and we'll send you a link to that because I know a lot of engineers are super hip to all the songs in that playlist. You can search 
on Spotify for it. And I'll have our guys make sure it's on the website somewhere too. But I think it's called the MXU Soundcheck yeah. playlist or something like a that. A lot of people have copied it and made their own versions, but there's an official MXU account on Spotify. Official. <laughs> Blue this check quite, mark. This question's kind of interesting. Uh, how do you guys manage your pre-service time? That is interesting. I wonder what they mean. Is that like sound check and rehearsal schedule? Or is that like thinking or caffeinate? How do you caffeinate? There it is. How (laughs) long do I wait until I go to front of house? I usually walk into front of house with like a minute to go, like at the very last second. So you don't have anybody talking to you. For their Christmas services, the first of the five services that I was in, we were out there like, I don't know, six, seven minutes before the pre-roll video was starting. And we were just like, okay, we're ready. By the fifth service, the next night, we were walking out literally during the 10-second countdown to the video. It was like, <laughs> okay, how much can we stretch this? But, you know, some of that, obviously, don't try this at home. I mean, this is, you know, you need to be prepared and you need to be on point. Um, I wonder, I wonder though, if they're asking about, like, the, the sound check run-through process or any kind of team time or anything like that. Cause those, those things are really important too. Yeah. And I guess rolling backwards from the downbeat, you want to give enough time that everyone has a breather and some rest. Right. Um, yep. And then you also want to do a huddle up where you get, you get some uh, check-in time with your team. And I've definitely walked into some congregations where uh sound check is a little like a free-for-all and the keyboard player just keeps going and going and going and then the drummer's going and and then all of a sudden a horn player is going i can't hear myself like was that supposed to be a hold on i need everybody's attention you know so yeah i'd say don't be afraid to uh to get comfortable with your talkback mic and if everybody doesn't have ears in go ahead and put that thing in the pa welcome everyone to their day hush them down and, and yep. take charge we say this a lot at events we used to say this all the time you've got line check sound check rehearsal and then the show or the service and what most people do is they line check during sound check they sound check during the rehearsal and they rehearse during the first service or first show yeah so you have to back all that up and you line check before the band even gets there so that when they show up and they plug their instrument in it's correct and the ears are right and left is left and right is right like all that stuff is done before so that when you talk to them in the talk back they can actually hear you like you have to make sure that's done first and then sound check is not the band's time to learn the songs that's to actually sound check and then rehearsal is not the audio team's time to be worrying about what the snare drum sounds like that's the band's time to actually rehearse the song that's your time to actually rehearse mixing so that when you get to the first service, that's not a rehearsal. Like those people came to experience church the same way your last service is going to. Why not give them a fair shot? So it's just putting guardrails around each one of those segments and making sure they're done in an orderly fashion. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of the strategy around the sound check process, I think it's one thing for us to understand that those are four distinct steps. But again, talking about the win, it's like we have to we have to communicate that to the worship leader MD to go, okay, I need you to partner with me on this. When we're doing sound check, 
we can't have the guitar player noodling for three hours right. and not paying attention. We can't have just random talking on mics and people not paying attention. It's like this is there's a strategy behind this process. And to get everybody on board it just makes it so much more efficient. Nobody wants to do sound check. Nobody loves it. It's just doing it and doing it together and efficiently makes the rehearsal actually so much more fun because you can actually work on you know the song and transitions and all that and if you run out of margin for that it's gonna, the whole thing's going to suffer so breaking those aspects into distinct steps and communicating clearly over a talkback back and forth two-way talkback is a huge win great we just solved all the problems in the world <laughs> <laughs> i like this next question because i feel like this is something that a lot of churches are kind of in the probably asking it goes back to our console if no dedicated stream mixer uh favorite way to send out a good consistent stream audio from front of house which i know we've hit on before okay we have a video on this it might even be on youtube for free but if it's not you can go pay a measly 30 dollars and get 300 videos just saying um i'm just going to get real practical here's how you do it you send a post fader mix of your band a musicians and worship leader that's okay to a matrix to another group an aux whatever that needs to be post fader with effects just like it's going to the pa then you take all of your talking heads and you send them to another group that's separate but you're going to need to send about 10 more db than you've sent from the music group so you've got the band and music and then you've got a talking head group or a speaker group is what i call it it gets 10 db more then you take your audience mics, your crowd mics, your AR, whatever you want to call that, and then you mix those in to taste, however, whatever level you want. I would say send more than you're probably comfortable with. It'll make the whole thing sound better. And then that is your broadcast mix. And then you want to put some type of compression on that mix, maybe even some EQ, and you want to get that thing as hot as humanly possible. Like run it to a half a dB before it's clipping and put a brick wall limiter on it so that it won't clip. And then that's your feed to your podcast mix. There you go. No <laughs> templates needed. That's good. So there is a video on YouTube from MXU now called Broadcast Mixing Made Easy. And it goes over those things in detail. It actually also talks about how, if you're using audience mics that are at front of house, how you may need to delay your board mix to be able to be in time with those audience mics to make it all line up and be, you know, sounding like it's all one thing. So YouTube broadcast mix made easy featuring us and the MXU now stuff. So go check it out. There you go. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I think Grace should answer this one. How do you find the fun in mixing in church when all you feel is anxiety and do it because you must. Well, it's a lot easier when you stop showing up to church hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start there. Well, I'm just going to tell myself right away, you know. Yeah. Uh, this could be two of our questions kind of together. Uh, one of our questions was like, how did you know you were being called into ministry? Uh, I went in kicking and screaming. <laughs> I wasn't called in, you know, I was like sitting in the back row uh, with whiskey sweats hiding out and was called upon to be of service and then found myself 
very quickly mixing because, you know, I've got this touring experience. I'm good with people, supposedly, and uh, really proficient at a lot of consoles and rooms. So uh, I found myself mixing pretty quickly. And definitely before I had felt uh, the Lord singing through my heart, I was actually in the process of working for the church. So mine's a little backwards, uh, but I feel like even even on days recently when it gets hard, people volunteers don't show up, people aren't uh, communicating well, or like last week, uh, servers go down, um, the Zoom processor isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Um, it's a it's about remembering why you wanted to be there in the first place. And that really, that helps me get through those tough moments. You know, what about you guys when you're, when you're in the thick of it and things are coming down around you technologically, you know, do you, do you kind of forget about why you're sitting there? Um, I have two responses. I want to respond to your story first. And you said it's kind of backwards. I don't think that's backwards. I think my version is backwards. My version was a weird lady at church when I was 14 said, Lee, God told me you're called into ministry. Like that's weird and backwards to me. I I don't like the That's a little odd. I don't it is odd. I don't like the phrase called into ministry. I feel like if we can just talk about Christianity for a second, some of our listeners maybe not even go to church. Um, if, if you have decided to live your life in relationship with Jesus, I think that's being called into ministry. It doesn't mean you have to get a paycheck from a church, certainly, nor volunteer 40 hours a week at a church. I think what that means is, Hey, I'm dedicating my life to this and, um, I'm gifted in certain areas I've got skills and how can I use those to further the kingdom and the mission that I've decided to be a part of. So called into ministry is not a, a mantle you get in a ceremony. It's what am I going to do for the mission that I've decided to give my life to? So I think you are just as much called into ministry as I am. And I get a paycheck from a church. So yes. I don't, yes, yes, I don't yes. like that. No lightning bolt, right? And no, Lee but, had the meat sweats while you were having the whiskey sweats. There right. you go. <laughs> but the other thing I would say about your story, Grace, is that it's such a great reminder to listeners to to be on the lookout for the Grace Royces around you. It's like right. as a as a vocational pastor, technician, tech director thing, you have an opportunity to leverage people who you might not ever think would want to come and engage in your ministry. And then it becomes their testimony. To get back to his question about like, what do you do kind of when that, that uh, real good feeling wears off and you're being yelled at by a, a backup singer. And I'm too hood for that. People don't yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that question, like for me personally, what makes me go like, uh, I don't like my job today. Because we all have those. Of course. It's more, for me, it's not like when gear breaks. It's more like when there's relationship issues, team issues that have to get sorted out. But I just have to remember 
that nothing is forever and it's not about what it's actually about. So like if there's issues with someone with other people's relationships on the team or some drama somewhere, it's never about what it's about. It's about something else. And and I'm not passive aggressive, but I do have a, a really outspoken sense of humor. And so when I've had people say things like an MD say something to me, that's like, are you serious? Did you just talk to me that way? Uh, I'll say something like, you're going to have to dip me again, you know, (laughs) or I got, I got one shoe for you and another one in case I miss, you know, like just let them know. I think it's okay. We, we try to like tamper our behavior and our speech because we're in the four walls of a worship center, but I think it's okay to let people know like, ow, dude, that, uh, that stung, that comment stung a little bit and, and find someone on your team that you can, nudge and be like you're definitely going to have to hold me down this time until the bubbles stop and i would say you know the other the other thing is you mentioned passive aggressive it's too easy for people who serve in roles with our typical personalities to become a little bit passive aggressive and that turns to subversion and sabotage and gossip and like that stuff, man, it can become a cancer pretty quick. So if you feel yourself getting overly negative and overly pessimistic and making assumptions about people and all that kind of stuff, man, you've got to nip that as soon as possible because it's going to turn bad real quick. Yeah. Tell telling yourself real quick to a trusted friend. That's that's the easiest way to diffuse it for me. Uh, when this, this question was did say, when all you feel is anxiety and you do it because you must, I, I would try to figure out what it's specifically making you anxious. Fix the source. I think it's what y'all was saying. It's normally a person, but fix the source. Also, uh, do it because you must is probably another topic to, right. you know, just you don't have to, especially if it's bad for you. I, that moment that we were talking about pre-service, get your coffee, do that. I like just two minutes of quiet away from everybody i'm normally just wandering the halls or go for a quick outside walk or whatever but i just need a second mm-hmm. yep. i and generally don't listen to music on the way home from church i don't either <laughs> yeah. not on the way home but sometimes like before a gig uh i i do have like a fight song yeah it's, it's kind of funny but like I think we talked about this on one of the first podcasts I did with you guys about like that time between backstage and front of house. Yep. That I think one of the reasons Lee we were talking about like we we make that time out at front of house real short is because yep. you could just pace around in your little box and get yourself all worked up. You need that time to relax and unwind, and you're there because you're good at your gig. Uh, but you also kind of need a little fight song, something to pump you up and remind mm-hmm. you like you're there because you're good at your gig. And and, and that walk can really psych you out going, I don't know. Did I get all the inputs? Is, is this going to work? Is someone going to totally throw no, I, I want to feel like Conor McGregor coming out from backstage, walking to <laughs> front of house, but you know, 2000 people in the room, they're doing their own thing. They're not, they're not watching me, but it totally is like a, like, okay, here I go. And I'm it's picturing not, you. <laughs> I'm not trying to be, yeah, just arm swinging the, the McGregor. Uh, flag it's not over like your a, shoulder. Yes. It's not an arrogance thing. It's like, no, I, I think it, the band also does that. And the worship leaders do that. They're, they're getting themselves ready. I think if you're running a camera, you should do the same thing. 
maybe we should do like the MLB where everybody has their own hype song. Yeah. And, you know, as we get together for sound check next week, it's like, today, serving on camera one, Jennifer, and starts yeah. playing Roar through the PA. Mine's going to be a Bollywood song. Of course it is. What would your walkout song be? Oh, That's what we should, we should do an whole episode on this. <laughs> I got to find a clean edit of mine then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's funny. Long neck, ice cold beers never broke my heart. Go about <laughs> never that. Broke, beer never broke my heart, baby. <laughs> yeah. This question Ooh. talks about kind of moving into a staff position from being a volunteer. Uh, I'm trying to decide if it's from the angle of like you're the volunteer and you want to be on staff. But the question says, uh, what is the best way for church volunteers to transfer into becoming staff production? I think some of us want to be on staff or want to pull people up uh any advice on on how to get people motivated to want to be on staff i think if you're in a large church and you have a big team you should be very careful with this actually any church doesn't matter the size and also your pastor is not going to like it you just had someone donating their time to the church and now you're going to pay them for it so that's like that's really they're gonna be like what you we hired a volunteer why would we do that um but production's a little different. It's a specialized thing. So if you have someone volunteering on your team that that's what they do, that's their job, I think that's different. I think the danger is when you have a, let's say, a project manager, something, you know, a normal job, not even in the in the field, and then you start going like, well, maybe they could be a full-time lighting designer, and you remove them from a career into the church, that scares me a little because church work can be so volatile. We burn through people pretty quickly. It's two or three years and they're kind of on to the new thing. So I, I'm i more into the like, this kid that's 19 is working at Dutch Bros. He's been our lighting volunteer for six years. He's built this whole thing. If we're going to give somebody a shot, surely it's him. Like that is the scenario I like more than, you know, plucking somebody out of an actual like a career that they got a college degree for. So I just, I, I mean, there's scenarios where maybe it's okay, but I'd be really slow on that stuff. That's my answer. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Iced coffee or hot coffee early in the morning? Just hot, a, black, j- hot black yeah. coffee. And I'm iced. So I'm iced black Americano. Where do you get iced black coffee first thing in the morning? Do you, you probably have a position on your staff that's just feeding your needs, getting you coffee and whatever else? <laughs> no, we don't want to end up in the New York Times, so we don't do that. Um, uh, no, I just go to Starbucks, drive through. Oh, clear, clearly, you don't get to church early enough. Though he does have people for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. We don't get there that early at all. We get there at seven. Oh, gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. But I'm you guys don't in. do a you guys don't do an hour rehearsal and a forty five minute run through either. That's right. true. That's um, true. I gotta don't. say, hot coffee all the way. Iced coffee to me, like good iced coffee, is amazing. But the chances of good iced coffee is not likely. Right. It's hard to always get good iced coffee. That's very true. I made my own toddy for a while, a couple summers in a row. I did that. That's a good way to get it at home if you make your own uh, cold brew. Yep. I'm a little bit of a coffee snob. I got real hooked on uh, this company called Drum out of Missoula, Montana. 
And so now I ship that in. Drum uh, coffee? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've got I've got uh, a burr grinder because the owner of that company told me that uh, blades are murder. And <laughs> that's funny. And uh, and I use an AeroPress. So oh, yeah. okay, there you go. So that's my go-to. I got hooked on an AeroPress on tour, and I've I'm a got, pour-over guy. Ah, you are okay. Fancy. I'm I'm about to switch to pour-over. So right now I have a Keurig at home. Oh, God. Oh, Lee. Oh, Lee. But here's the thing. Now, here's the thing. Okay. I have found the single best K-Cup coffee in the world. It's Which not one? bad. Which one? It's from Black Rifle Coffee. So, these it's a veteran-owned coffee company. And they do, they do coffee snob coffee, which you can get. But then they also have K-Cups. And I'm telling you, this is called uh, the SS Coffee, like, I think it's called Super Silence Silencer or something. It's a it's an army pun, and it's pretty good. So I know I that, that the folks at home can't see, but you see this light shining on me. This is why you don't have that because you drink K cups. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, you know we do French press at home, and I, I really like I like French press. I like pour over too. But my thing about coffee is I'm old, and so you know it's like the coffee snob thing wasn't a thing when i was coming up and so i got so used to having to drink bad coffee yeah and so the reason that i just sort of dealt with it and i drink black coffee is because i just had to adjust to the crappy coffee and catering because it was highly caffeinated and hot and so anytime i get to make a good cup of coffee it's like it's super good i love it but i'm not I'm not a snob by any stretch, but I'm coffee all the way to like 4 p.m. Then I switch to tea. Yeah, I like that. And then, it, and then at 4:20, you switch to other things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only allowed to have two cups of coffee, or I get kind of yelly. That's hilarious. Oh man, this next question is perfect. It's like an infomercial, but it's not. Audio processing tools aside, what is the best useful gizmo every audio engineer needs? I'm happen to be at my desk, and I just got. A sound tool sniffer. Oh, those are great. Uh, nice. Okay, so we've been talking one. about this for a while, but Jay is going to help us collaborate on a project where we basically are going to offer, like, here's the 10 best tools for your Pelican, or here's the best way to outfit your audio Pelican. So, Jay, since you're on this already, why don't you talk us through your top five or so, like, indispensable tools, gizmos, gadgets, <sighs> stuff. And I'm brands. not, I'm not going to say coffee uh, setup because that's just douchey. Well, that that's, that's another Pelican. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a different Pelican. Um, I, this, I didn't have one of these. My friend Chris had one and he used it at a show. I actually run a cruise ship and I was amazed. And so sound I think tools, that, audio sniffer. That's one. Yes. I think that's uh, great. I would say voltage meter for sure. Um, I'll now bring my own talk back since COVID. Yeah. Um, we so got a lot of stuff in that beard that you don't want <laughs> anybody else having access to. Yeah. Like, and also, you know how someone will come up and want to talk in your talk back? That's a no, no. Like I will straight punch somebody if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I have become reliant on this Sonnet 4G USB-C to, uh, Ethernet dongle thingy. For multi-tracks and stuff, it's a 10G thing that goes everywhere with me these days, so I can track or yeah. not track. And then 
because not every adapter works. Like no. they can say they're a gazillion G, but this Dante one works. might not like them. It's also a small paycheck. Yeah, they are. Um, so I would say that, and then um, I have become the guy who just carries his own mouse. I don't. I don't hate that. I hate walking up to a console that's supposed to have a mouse and it doesn't even have one. Or you open the drawer and it's an actual mouse, not a trackball. I would carry yeah. my own trackball. I did. I did uh, ask twenty people. Grace was on my list. What she carries in her. I asked you guys as well. What you carry in your Pelican. So I can't wait to put all that uh, data together and share it with folks. Maybe we and make a Pelican and you can win it at the next uh, MXU event. Ooh, that's and maybe Dave Rad will give us some of these these things i'm opening it now they're on the phone i like that i like it so where do you guys land on the gerber leatherman multi-tool i'm tired of giving mine to tsa right yeah yeah i don't i don't i check everything being a lifelong delta diamond you know you just (laughs) and that's the only airline that'll have you now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you only knew <laughs> um, uh, but yes I, I, you can check up to three bags and so one of them is always my pelican because I don't want to carry that so I can put whatever I want in there my nine millimeter my uh, pocket knife and my leatherman I'm not a Gerber guy I'm a leatherman guy did I put ground lift on my list to you I always yes. have a ground lift yes there. you did yeah I want to get a uh, bench made pocket knife I gotta Ooh, get the- me one of those those are awesome because you can customize those. You can, yeah. That's They're that's for that's though. for a guy who's not going to use it that much. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lee, so how many pairs of white gloves are in your Pelican? Uh, I've <laughs> I've had the same ones forever. They're they're nice and clean. <laughs> I'm so, I'm just not nice to Lee. I don't know why. Mine are like a little speckled gray. <laughs> uh, Off, they're off white. I I stole that from James Rudder. Uh, I was hanging out with him and Brad one night and that came up somehow. And he goes, Brad and I don't have white gloves, uh, but they're definitely gray. <laughs> I'm like, that's, <laughs> that is a good thing right there. That's fun. Jeff, what can't you live without? Oh man. In that regard. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a good one. I mean, if I was bow hunting, I'd give you a lot of <laughs> answers, but I don't, the Pelican thing. I don't know. I just, I do end up walking up to a console with a laptop, flash drives, and and that's about it. If I was going to go do a tour and I didn't have a system engineer, I of course I would bring a Pelican full of all the gear. But um, yeah, I would like that not to be the case. I do always I do always carry my own eighth inch to XLR cables just because yes. you never know what the local provider may or may not have in terms of quality. Um, I'll try to know for sure if there's smart happening at front of house because if not, I'll have a measurement mic and that kind of stuff. But yeah, in terms of like indispensable tools, other than you know dongles and show files, and you know I don't have as many on my key ring as Robert does. I mean, when I saw his collection of USB drives, it was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. he's got a dozen uh, sticks and iLocks and stuff. But um, other than that, you know, I'm not a huge gizmo guy. Grace, I actually found your text. You said multimeter, so we're twins there. You said no zap zap. Yeah, I try not to die. Uh, SPL meter. You said you don't trust the Radio Shack Festival Police. That's a good one. That is good. Uh, Black gaffy tape, for all the obvious reasons. Um, 
you said flashlight and your own talkback. Yeah, flashlight's definitely one of those things because I always put that thing in my mouth. So that's another thing when somebody goes like, oh, can I use your flashlight? I'm, like, I'm a prepper. Probably don't so want like, to. I'm a prepper, so I always have flashlight in my bag. Yeah. yeah. I would I'll say also, flashlight. That's a flashlight too. I, would, I do carry flashlights. I'll also carry a, a stereo DI just in case. Like a okay. like a pro DI or some, you know, radial. The things you said not to carry drum sure drum mic package. They oh, have fifty sevens. You can leave yours at home. <laughs> <laughs> that drives me crazy. Uh, the guy's like, I brought my drum I brought my drum kit. I'm like, why? I'm not paying she for said, that. Let's let's smash up the rental house that's not yours. Uh you said your your leatherman on fly dates, which I think is great. XLR snakes, too heavy and not worth it. Advance them. Yeah, because yeah. people bring that stuff. I've seen people no. have the craziest. Now, I have seen people bring a Pelican just for coffee, which I ain't mad at that. Yeah. It, whatever makes your day fun and makes you happy, you do that. You bring your own Pelican full of your toys. It's fine. There is I, a super I, I, rugged been. Keurig. Like, it's a, it comes like in a road case. I'll That's send right, you a link does. to that. That thing's awesome. <laughs> And if it's a tour, there's always a drawer. There's always a drawer in the workbox that's dedicated to such accoutrements and maybe other things too. Have the coffee drawer for the daytime and the whiskey drawer for the nighttime. Right. I figured out how to keep a bottle of wine, a bottle of whiskey with two wine glasses, two whiskey glasses, and my coffee setup in a fifteen ten. It's really that's impressive. Pretty, I'm really that's impressed strong. <laughs> yeah, Waterford Crystal whiskey glasses. That's for the camping world we're, we're, events, not winter jam. We're, we're, we're bougie over here. <laughs> I like this question. What happened to turn down for MXU? I'm sure there are some great live stream Cairns. There probably are. We should, it, there's no reason yeah. it's gone away. We just haven't been, gotten any, we haven't gotten any uh, submissions lately. So yeah, if you have a turn down for MXU uh, lately, that's come through your comment cards, then send us, all those and we'll we'll turn it back up i mean i'm i'm all about it we just haven't gotten any submissions yeah dm us email us tag us on your social post we'll read them karen <laughs> <laughs> i like this question as a pro how often do you catch yourself forgetting about the music to focus on the tech hardly ever i'll usually forget about the tech because i'm so focused on the music that's right but i i think that's the same reason I said a system tuner and a mixer are different. I think those are, that's that same question just said a different way. It's some people will be so focused on the tech, they don't care about the music. And those guys and gals are super valuable on your teams. So I think you want, you want both. Yeah. I, I was I've pretty mixed myself into a hole before, you know, where you're just yeah. like, ah, oh, snare drum, snare drum, snare drum. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's like, a bunch of other people on stage there, yeah. there's kind of this dorky uh trick i do every now and then when i have mixed myself into a hole and and not really audibly but mentally i'm stuck on an instrument and i can't hear the song i can't hear the music i'm just obsessed on drums i'll actually stick my fingers in my ears for a few seconds and then take them out and try to give myself like a fresh perspective like if i were just walking into the room like Oh yeah, that sounds good. Or oh no, that there's a lot of too many drums there. That's very that's really good. I was also kind of uh, I want to say convicted, but I was encouraged 
a couple episodes when we talked to Crowder and he was talking about how much he has been diving into the user manuals for some of his gear and how much that's helped him in the creative process and musicianship and all that. I think it is important and it just challenged me to kind of dig into, okay, let's find an aspect of this tech that I'm weak in and try to read up on it and get better. So whether that's networking or whether that's RF or whatever, it's like, uh, it was a good challenge for me. So I need to figure out what that's going to be. He's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like this question. How can I join your team? It's real easy. Just send an email with your resume to internship at mxu.rocks. I guess we got to make that email address. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love an intern. I just got to say. Lee probably has five or six spare. <laughs> well, I mean, they're nine and 11 years old, but. <laughs> yeah, mine's. Mine's 14. She's a good intern. She's just easily distractible. So am I. Oh, how did MXU start? And do you prefer mixing front of house or monitors? Two questions. Um, MXU started in 2015. Was the dinner that we had? Was the dinner. And then the first event was January 2016. Yep, 2016. And I prefer front of house. I think all four of us would say that. Grace, do you prefer front of house or monitors? I definitely started off at monitors. Uh, they're two completely separate gigs. They really yeah. like take two different kinds of brains. And some of my favorite monitor engineers don't mix front of house. They're um, they're almost like psychologists. Yes, you know, totally. they they. I think. I think you can see everything on my face, which makes me a bad monitor engineer. Yeah. Like if I don't like what you're doing, you're going to know it and you're too close to me to, you know, I'm going to affect great. your performance because I'm giving you the stink eye. Um, so I think I'm better at front of house. Uh, but I think what's awesome about a monitor engineer is they can do both. So yeah. I encourage people to learn monitors first so that you understand as a front of house engineer what your responsibilities are. Um, you can actually cause some really big problems for a monitor engineer, depending on what you're doing with the PA, where that PA sits in relationship to your uh, first line of vocalists. And I've, I've toured with some really terrible well, one in particular, just a terrible front of house guy that had no concept of what, the gig was at monitors and every time he turned on the PA, the whole stage would squeal and he was throwing shoes at me. And so it's really important for a front of house engineer to understand monitors. I think I do. I've gotten a lot better since then. And I apologize. For I that. have, a, okay. <laughs> Stop throwing shoes. I have, a, I have later in life as I've become a tour manager and, and, and more spent more time with artists. I have a soft spot for artists. They infuriate me to the millionth mm -hmm. degree, but I do have a soft spot for us and I can understand them better than most is what I would say. So I'm not a great monitor engineer, but I do understand the person. I, I do always joke. I would rather mix for a crowd of 10,000 than five holes on stage. Sorry, mm -hmm. Jeff, you're gonna have to it's a out. harder gig. Monitors but is harder. You're in the I, hot seat. <clears throat> do love and a lot of times i've got this one drummer in particular like when he's feeling insecure or when he's not 100% comfortable he has 40,000 tweaks yeah. like stand up at the drum set flailing his arms at me if i'm on the other side of the stage yeah. and he will 
get in his talk back and be like, just a DB up. And then next song, I want it back down. And that just tells me that I need to help him. You know, I'm, yeah. there are way more monitor, better monitor engineers out there, but I think a lot of the artists I work with regularly have some sense of peace uh, when I'm at the monitor desk because they know I'm going to take care of them. You know, and that sounded like I was getting choked up, but <laughs> so emotional. You're crying. <laughs> I'm crying. So I w- I like mixing front. Of- I want to feel the PA, but I do yeah. want to make sure the. Ba- I would rather offload front of house to someone that I trust and make sure the band is good. When I end That's up cool. in a dire situation on a gig where an audio team member drops off, front of house is an easier shoe to fill. Honestly, because uh, of what Jay said, like the band knows my face. They know that I'm going to take care of them. They're less likely to pick on me in a moment of emotional freak out, you know, up, down, this sucks. That sucks. I need you to change everything. Uh, they look over and see me and they're like, yeah, sounds fine. Yeah. Uh, if budget wasn't an issue, waves or UAD? Well, waves because UAD is now discontinued and they're not supporting it anymore. Wow. Next question. Peace. And guess what? Waves has a sale today. <laughs> we always have a sale. I, I had to unsubscribe from those emails. I was spending all my money. <laughs> I know. Great. I bought some plugins around Thanksgiving and haven't even used them yet. <laughs> I, I wish that Waves would do a couple of emulations that were only available on UAD, though. I will say that. Distressor, anyone? Um, well, hey, when I was there, I was in Israel a couple two years ago. I went to HQ and was walking around and there was a distressor sitting on the floor and uh nick geiger who was with me he he asked he said when and they're like it's in, like it's here for a reason but i don't know when which doesn't help us here but they have one so if they could just run along yeah lee this question's for you I think because you posted this, why put the 1176 first in the vocal stack rather than the LA-2A? Oh, yeah. Last week, I gave everybody some homework and said, try stacking these compressors together and just tell me what you think. No reason. It's just because I liked it. So you can put the LA-2A before the 76. The whole point is you should be experimenting with stuff enough that you know what that is doing. So for me, the reason... It's actually it's not even a reason, but here's what happens: an 1176 is not a limiter. Okay, so what gets through that compressor after compression is still variable. You're going to get fluctuations in um, amplitude. Is that the right term? Mm-hmm. And then you put a limiter after that. Nothing's getting past that limiter. Okay, so if you put the limiter first, you're limiting the vocal, and then an 1176 after that, you're just compressing what's already been limited. That's not good or bad. It's just they're just going to do different things. So try yeah. it. Yeah, and I would say the other reason to put the LA to a second is that you have you have discrete attack and release controls on the eleven seventy six, so you can sh- shape the tone a little differently. And the LA two a in my mind is is a great overall smoothing compressor, and yeah. so I think it just adds uh, it. It's like icing on the cake for me um, in terms of the way it does the gain reduction. And so I would probably default to have it later in the chain. But like you said, just experiment. See what you like. I mean, it's there's no hard and fast rules. There you go. Any preference? I'm a multi-band compressor ninja. So 
as long as I have a unlimited amount of multiband compression at my fingertips, I'm a happy camper. But I never do the same thing twice. And that was a piece of advice I got from one of my first mentors was uh, don't just repeat what you've done. You're never going to learn if you just keep doing it the same way every time. So move things around, listen, uh, have a nerd buddy, whether on staff with you or uh, reach out to one of us and we'll get weird. And let's talk about why you're doing what you're doing, what you're hearing, how it's changing. And yeah. Someone asked what's a good way to find a mentor in the field. You just mentioned you had a mentor. Well, none of my mentors wanted to be my mentors and none of them asked to be my mentors and none of them got asked. Uh, It was kind of like, these are people that I followed around, maybe against their will. I asked them questions, uh, looked over their shoulder. We were talking about Robert Scoville earlier. I remember seeing him uh, at some of my festivals and sneaking up and kind of looking over his shoulder and going, hey, um, when you have time, can I ask you about your kick drum? And then slowly backing away and waiting until he got a minute and then getting a, a peek at his channel. So you may not have kind of that formal relationship, but finding somebody that, man, I really like their technical mind. And then it might be someone completely different that, man, I really like the way they run their team or someone completely different that, man, under stress, that's the kind of tech I want to be. Love that. Love that too. Is there going to be an MXU live event in 2021? Yes. Funny you should ask. Um, We're going to try. You know, COVID has caused, obviously, pandemonium around the world and events have stopped. But um, it looks like tours and events are starting to be planned. Some as early as this spring. You're seeing stand-up comedy is coming back like next month in smaller indoor venues in some cities. Um, You know, I think the jury's still out on the 20,000 seat arenas, what they're going to do, but we have been, should we just say it, Jeff? I mean, we could always, I think we need to kind of let this cat out of the bag. I really do. Uh, Okay. Cause I'm excited about it. So we are trying to plan seeing if it's possible and nothing's confirmed yet, but doing an MXU live tour in the fall. So we'll uh, get on a bus and get a truck and go hit eight to 12 cities across the U.S. this fall. That's the plan. It's rad. By the way, Jay, you're um, already committed to that, whether you know it or not. Yeah. 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 Um, there's Grace. a couple of states I can't go to, so if I could see the list. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. We'll, we'll get you a list in advance. And Grace, we want you to be there for as many as you're able. So. We'll, we'll tag team it, Jay. I'll, That's right. I'll, I'll do Texas since, you know. You'll probably do 12 stops in Texas alone. And uh, a couple of the cities were multi-day events. We'll just say okay. that. Okay. Uh, at so-and-so says, in the age of broadcast church, how do you deal with complex licensing and pre-service music? Um, well, it's kind of being dealt for you now because Facebook and YouTube have a engine to be sniffing licensed music out and will shut down your stream. So, you know, before it was everybody, it was just kind of a free for all. Um, And 
there's a law that just got passed that was potentially making some of that a felony, making it federal. It, it's not intended to shut churches down from streaming. It's it's intended for some like uh, Twitch users streaming video games and like all those guys are worried about it. But um, we've gotten this question a bunch. I think, Jeff, we should get a music publisher on here and ask them this. Well, yeah. CCLI specifically for churches will cover some. They will. So maybe we get a music attorney and a CCLI person on here and do an episode about it. Yeah, we should. There have been a ton of threads online about this, and there have actually been people from CCLI who've weighed in on this topic. Um, so if you want to if you want to dig in down that rabbit hole, there are answers to be had. But I think you're right. We need to just have a conversation with somebody who deals right. with this every day and get definitive answers. Because here's what I know. Um, Joel Houston, Brian Johnson are not going to sue you for using their music in your pre-show. <laughs> it's not that they care. It's more about the big tech companies, uh, what they've built into their software that are just not yeah. allowing it. So The algorithm is just looking for those watermarks in those songs. And if you're using original recordings, it's going to get picked up. So, um, Lee, Lyft wheels and tire setup on that good looking Ford I've seen in the background of some videos. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Uh, Is that your truck? Yeah. Uh 35 inch BFG KO2s, Fox Livewire 2.0s, uh two inch lift. There you go. Jay, From- I don't think you could get up into Lee's truck, honestly. Well, you know, I I just put a three and a half inch lift with 35s and Fox the variable you got um, live wires on yours? Yes. And oh, that's awesome. I went Toyo 35s, 35 by 12s, but I, I live in Atlanta, so I got 20-inch wheels, you know. Oh, so, see, I got 17s. Yeah, I needed the street cred. Um, mm. But literally, <laughs> when I try to get in it, my foot, like, I really had to, I'm thinking about getting a trampoline. I don't know how this is going to work long term. <laughs> or some new pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see how to help. And we've kind of been going rapid fire, how to help technically minded people take on the relational side of front of house. Good luck. (laughs) I'm just say hello to everyone. Yeah. Don't do me. (laughs) Don't. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, we've been over this type of question many, many, many times in podcasts and videos and live events and all that. I think at the end of the day, uh, you just have to get outside your comfort zone and have conversations and ask questions and stop and listen and don't, you know, don't just blather on about your tech stuff if if it's not being received well on the other end. But it, there is a level of self awareness that you have to have. But man, just have the guts to step into that relationally because that's the only way it's going to happen. You, the only way to become less insecure is to practice and get more secure. So know the difference between critique and criticism try to take it with a grain of salt have some have some uh responses in your back pocket that are just kind of along the lines of oh okay thanks Uh uh-huh you know you don't have to take everybody's everybody's going to have an opinion on how you mix so um not to take things personally but also to take what they're saying into consideration if someone in the front row was like, man, that was like way too much sub. Uh, you might not have things balanced right in your room and it's okay to 
thank them for their input and then maybe work on it in your spare time. I love it. Yeah. What are good ways to handle cymbal wash and drum mics when using a drum enclosure? Wet blankets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, on our, we have a Facebook group called the MXU collective and somebody posted a picture of one of those giant drum enclosures the full aquarium with the ceiling and all that some of those are upwards of twenty thousand dollars that's insanity especially for how bad they sound i know i i don't think you can fix it i would say smaller symbols quieter symbols and you've seen the shields that are just like a a small round disc that you put you know, and then you've got the vocalist walking back and forth. I was looking at my tech director, like, what do you, you tell me what you think those are doing? <laughs> I hate those things. I hate I'm the way they look. I'm not going to tell you. You tell me. <laughs> I hate the way they look. I've seen another shape, like a square, too. Well, and there's someone in the congregation who's getting the reflection of a spotlight into that thing yeah. right in their face. You can look down and find them. They're Confession them. we use those and I hate them. I'm going to get rid of them. They don't do anything. They do a little bit for the person who is stationary, whose mic is right in the direct line of the symbol. But a that's about bit. it. And even with a even with a full shield with no ceiling, so much energy is going up and over that plexiglass that it's it's doing very minimal too. I mean, I think it's a di- it's a better conversation to have about your drummer playing to the room and how you're approaching your mix with those symbol mics than it is to try to figure out how to make it more and more isolated. Because the more you do that, especially with a full enclosure, the reflection off the enclosure back into the mics is going to cause a ton more problems than a conversation with your drummer about how they're playing. Mm-hmm. And you're all hip on your uh, your vocal chain compression. How, how are your cymbals doing in that? You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, things most people don't think about when planning AVL in an installer upgrade. Oh, that's a good question. What do people not think about the future? Um, well, right now, a big thing to think about is how long it's taking to get equipment. So like Easter's coming up. And if you're thinking, Hey, maybe we'll order this new video router next month. Um, maybe you won't cause it's probably already back ordered. Right. So timeline on gear right now is a big deal. Um, never, never mind the Chinese New Year. I think they celebrate and close down for three weeks. So, yeah, uh, that's like right now, isn't it? Yeah. Mid January. That's a big thing. And then um, I don't know if this is things people forget, but maybe something to be mindful of is everybody's always looking for a deal, you know, with AVL integrators. And we've certainly said some things before that were taken out of context in that you shouldn't pay over 10% for anything. And that's not what we ever said. Um, But when you get a quote back for a big project and it's more expensive than you think it should be, and you get two more and they're all reasonably what you think is expensive. Don't forget that the price, what you're paying for is also to support your organization through maybe the lifetime or a certain amount of time of that product, especially mm-hmm. like something big, like a PA or a big video upgrade. They're not just going to show up, drop off a new video switcher, router and cameras, and then leave. They're going to be 
holding your hand, walking alongside of you for the better part of a year, most likely to make sure that that stuff is taken care of. And it costs companies money to do that and to support those products. So we want AVL integrators to make enough money that they can support you the best way that they can. And we want you to not overpay for that service. So there's a balance there. We don't want to see people, you know, raking churches over the coals on things, but we do want to see churches understanding what they're paying for, the value in it, and everybody walking away and being happy about it. And then if we, if we rewind the conversation a little bit further, first, it's a good idea to engage a professional AVL integrator in your project. So that's statement number one. Second, you got to go and see and hear their work. You know, don't necessarily just trust a picture on a website. Go and, and hear the room. If you're buying a new PA, I want to hear what their deployment is like. And then things that come back as you sort of talk about budgets to leadership and accounting and the executive team and all that, there are going to need to be some cuts made probably. The first thing that people tend to cut sometimes is acoustics or treatment to the room Yeah, because they want the gear. And the more and more rooms I've been in, I would say, man, get the room right first and you'll be a better steward of the gear. So don't just automatically go to, hey, let's just lop off the acoustics budget because we'll just make it work in our room. Chances are you're going to have to have more gear to overwhelm a bad room than you would getting the room right in the first place. Acoustics is the hardest thing to add later because Correct. how do you communicate? We need to spend 10000 or or a half a million dollars on acoustics in here when people are listening and they don't know how to listen and they go, well, it sounds fine to me. People are coming. So if you don't do it at day one, you probably never will. Yeah. And back to talking to our leaders and the higher ups about the, the vision, uh, an AVL firm can really help with that. I've been in meetings where, you know, I can tell them till I'm blue in the face about acoustics or, not buying the cheap video wall and why, um, or maybe changing the layout or one of the most difficult conversations recently on a new campus was power and why power needed to be laid out a certain way. And it's funny, they see you there every day. They trust you with their congregation and their service. They know that, yeah, you know what you're talking about, but there's something about having that AVL guy come in and that firm that has the repertoire of setting up campus after campus after campus. And they come in and they back you up on the power thing. They back you up on, you know, I really think your your budget's best spent here. This is what the budget's going to look like. It's not a gross overstatement or understatement. They know for a fact what you're talking about, what you're telling me you need, this is what it's going to cost. And that can just be uh, saving you a lot of time screaming about things that you really know that you need. And we have a list of preferred AVL partners on our website. So if you go to our partner page, there are people on there that we trust. Go check them out. Ooh, that's great. Oh, yeah. What would an AVL safety certification for ministry leaders, volunteers look like? That's interesting. I mean, a lot of our training that we have to do is because California requires it of us. So, like, you can't get in a lift unless you're of a certain age and have had lift training and you get a card. And, yeah, we do rigging training for people. Like, if you're going to 
climb up some truss. You got to have um, a harness on and you got to know how to use a lineman's belt and, you know, things like that. So I don't know that there are general like blanket safety certs you can do, but if you have a, you know, high production environment where you've got that type of thing going on, it is never a bad idea to have a pro high level experience rigger come in and teach you how to do some things. I think that's a great idea. I mean, don't do stupid stuff. Don't get in a lift if you don't know how to use it. Don't certainly get in a boom lift if you don't know how to use it. Those are terrifying. I will never get in one again. Um, and don't drive a forklift. Like, you have to have a license to drive a forklift in most states, don't you? Yeah, I got it yeah. with my concealed carry. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> We're almost out of questions. Almost there. Oh, I like this one. How to monitor for broadcast. Um, I wonder if that they're is, talking about that speakers is a good question or it is a good question. Um, I'll just talk about the monitor section on a console. I don't know if like the X32s have this, but any console like a QL and above have this. They have an actual monitor output. So some have two, you have like monitor A, monitor B. That's what you need to monitor off of. You don't want to just come out the same output as your broadcast mix because when you want to cue something, that cue will interrupt the monitor feed and let you solo something through those monitors. It'll also allow you to change the volume of what you're monitoring without affecting the level that you're sending to broadcast. So does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the monitor outputs are basically like a headphone jack for speakers. I mean, right. it, the basic understanding of it. Right. So that's what you need to do. And then I would say in terms of monitoring in general, find a way to listen on various sources. Yeah. So, you know, check it on headphones, check it on computer speakers, check it in your car, check it on an iPhone, check it, you know, as many places as you can to make sure that what the potential sources that people are listening on at home have been kind of vetted from your right because you can't seat. you you cannot uh control what they're listening on so you're really mixing like law of averages you right i don't want to hear it at all lee what do you monitor i've seen your setup uh, when you had it in your garage for christmas what are you monitoring with at home uh the actual speakers mm -hmm. um i two different things i like i like the the yamaha um I don't know the model, the eight inch with a white speaker. I like HS8s. 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 That's what they are. Yep. I heard those are back ordered for like nine months. <laughs> There's something like 30,000 of those things got ordered over the last few months. And do you like, like those because they're middle of the road, unforgiving? Um, I, they are affordable and they sound decent cool. for the price and they're big. And I have, so they got I have the HS fives at home, which are the smaller ones. But I have the eight-inch sub um, as well, so I've got the the little speakers with the sub. And the reason I like them is because they sound close to the way you know they're not quite as bad as what the NS10s used to be. But for me, the NS10 near-field monitor was always the standard because if you could make a mix sound good on that, it was going to sound good anywhere. Yeah, yeah, um, because they're so just vanilla and neutral. But I, I like um, the I like the HS5s. There's a new NS10 
uh, model. It's called the CLA 10, Crystal Algae mm-hmm. 10. They're awesome. They sound like CL, they sound like NS10s. You don't want to listen to music on them though. They're not like, check out how good this sounds. It's like what you said. If you can get your mix to sound good on those, then you're doing great. Yeah. Um, and they're affordable ish, which leads me to something. Maybe it's an epiphany or just a personal realization I just had. Like when you're talking about broadcast mixing and studio monitors, they're very expensive to get good ones. I would push churches to think about putting more resources in better studio monitors. So we have some really nice Focal monitors and a sub. And I think it's around, it's probably 10,000 bucks for the studio monitors and the sub, maybe more 10 to 15 even. And that may sound crazy, but if you think about this, like if your PA in your room was $50,000, maybe it was $500,000 for a couple thousand people. Those studio monitors are going to how many more people that are listening to your big PA? Yeah. To me, it's worth it because I've been mixing broadcasts the last two weekends. And knowing that I move a fader a quarter of a dB, a half a dB, and can hear it, I can add one dB at 10K to something and, and I hear it. It's You can't do that on a set of $500 monitors. You just can't. It just doesn't have that level of detail. It does not at all. And cheaper monitors are really fatiguing. So when you're listening all day long to a pair of $400 studio monitors, you don't know what you're hearing at the end of the day. So I like what you were just saying. Like for, I'm a live guy. You know, we were all live guys that are maybe having to mix broadcasts. It's kind of a different animal. It is. It would be cool to, to for y'all to do more training on going from front of house to broadcast the differences, not having to account for some of the things we're used to because broadcast is not going anywhere. No. You know, the biggest thing is how much more compression you need and how much you can get away with. Like in a big PA, there's a certain amount of compression happening just because of the big box, that much energy through it. The the actual boxes are doing some compression themselves. Sure. Yeah. Where at, when you're listening to it on a MacBook Pro or your iPhone, my front of house mix, it doesn't sound terrible, but it doesn't sound great. Yeah. So there's things you need to do in broadcast to get it to be punchy. It would be cool to get three, four of what we consider great minds around broadcast. Ask them these questions. Grace, do you monitor um, on your ears or do you monitor with near fields? Uh, near fields when doing the mix down and also always you know, going into my in-ears because uh, I'm real familiar with them and know what I'm listening for. I also, you know, over the course of a couple of months, you can now know the changes that you're making and how that's going to translate into somebody's home television or even on their laptop. You know, it's good to keep in mind that most people aren't going to be watching this on some amazing, awesome system, uh, but you want to like Lee said, be able to tell those little minutia things that you're doing. Uh, Also during performances, we've made it two positions. So if you have enough outputs, taking it to uh, a decent uh, headphone amp and having somebody sit there and monitor the mix has been really helpful. We have some super powerful singers. Uh, We've got 
keyboard players with fancy patches that have compression on them and they think they're doing you a favor. So having another guy sit there and nudge me and go, Hey, I really think we should do that one again. Uh, You know, we're peeking out on, on this or, you know, this patch just sounds terrible. I think you're going to hate that when we go to mix. So that's been really helpful and not taking it all on as yourself and, and, having to switch back and forth between all your monitoring sources. I I will do it, but it's nice to have another set of ears. Lee, this is going to probably be you. Are there time complexity phase problems with waves live in Yamaha consoles? There are time complexity phase issues with waves plugins in every console. How do you get around it? um, You don't, you need to be aware of it and compensate for it. So we did a, whole podcast episode on this um a couple episodes ago and there's probably some more coming and scoville gets super dorky on his channel about it too if you want to clock 30 hours on the topic um chris stevens he's a front house engineer for jason aldean he does manual input delay compensation throughout his whole console we spent a couple days filming with him so all that stuff's going to go to our mxu now library uh, sometime in the next few months too. So, when is Chad Vegas starting a series on cams and directing, or anyone? But Chad's the man. So interestingly enough, in our conversation yesterday among our team, we outlined our content plan for this year, and the next thing to be filmed for MXU now is a series on video cameras, directing all that stuff, and so. Um, Chad, if you listen to the last podcast, Chad committed himself to be in on that. And so we're going to have him and others um, recording those videos and lending their expertise. So it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Love it. Name what you feel was your best mix if you ever did a church service, an event, or conference. Good question to end on. It is. This is our last question, isn't it? Well, besides what your favorite feature on me is. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> uh grace Jay you go that, first that mustache jay is amazing uh best mix i ever did ever ever you have to say where you were console the pa and the band like give us the full rundown i don't know i'm trying to like pinpoint the feeling because i know there was like a feeling when i was listening to my playback back that I had like welled up and like felt it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I honestly can't remember who the band was, where I was or why. Um, But I'm going to guess it was like an amphitheater level tour. uh, Cause that, that seems to be where I am spoiled and I get the console of my dreams, the speakers I want. And uh, you know, dozens of thousands of people to really get loud in front of. Um, but honestly, I, I can't remember who it was or what was going on. I, I could just tell you that, you know, when you finish, you get all the way through a service or a show and you didn't find yourself jumping or scrambling for something and you were just kind of cruising the whole time. That's a, it's a really awesome feeling. And something that you really need to put in your back pocket and remember because you're going to have more that uh, do not go that way. 
That is very true. That's good. How about you, Jay? Oh, uh, y'all know who Corey Wong is? Yeah. Uh, I got to mix him at the Tabernacle here in Atlanta uh, last year and loved it. I mean, I just kind of remembered why I like it, you know? Um, I think all the bands that I probably mixed at 16, 17, 18 on two PVs probably had the same feeling, but you just forget sometimes. Uh, But I had a blast mixing Corey at the Tabernacle a couple years ago, and it just, I walked away feeling good about myself and what little I'd know. So, and the new PA in that room sounds really It was good. awesome. We were, uh, I can't, what, y'all will know the engineer, Chris. Drop, is it Drop Dead Murphy's or? Dropkick uh, Murphy's. He, he was awesome. Drop, yeah, Dropkick Murphy's, sorry. Um, they were opening for them, but he was awesome. Like, came over and hung for a little bit. And, and I follow him now on socials, and he's like fixing up old consoles and stuff. So uh, he was like, man, I could tell you were having a good time. And I was like, man, that felt like a good, good moment in life. That's cool. Yep. Jeff. Jeff. Man, it's hard to choose. I mean, I've got, I've got different moments for different reasons. Um, not the last Tomlin show I ever did, but the last sort of end of tour with my Tomlin stint was a memory that I'll have forever, which was mid 2016 Madison square garden, you know, sold out huge i mean just iconic venue and you know the end of a nine and a half year run with chris i mean there were so many emotional aspects to that but um just that night with the with the pa and the crowd and all that it was just one of those moments where you know you step on the gas and you just ride that band fader higher and higher and it just gets bigger and better and the great l acoustics pa and the room and the crowd it just one of those moments where it all just kind of comes together um Another one for me would be um, a, a passion deal when we did the, the international run with passion with half broken down gear in Kampala, Uganda, where the generator lost fuel every Out session. Out on that field with the fake PA? I don't even remember fake, the... The fake PA and a field <laughs> at a university that you might or might not get malaria from. But the crowd and how they worshipped, it was just like, oh my gosh, I want to be in this as long as possible because they were just bananas and so you know grace you mentioned just how the the audience makes such a difference and it was that was the deal it was like man i i am right where i want to be right now because i get the opportunity to actually make this sound that these people are going nuts for and it's just it's so weird the opportunity that we get to have to do that so it's fun I miss it. I mean, I really miss mixing in front of a big PA. I got to, I got to be at Passion a couple of weeks ago in the room mixing for the people who were in the room for the broadcast, and just being in front of a PA again felt so refreshing because it's been so long. So, ready for the season to pass so that we can get back to it. Um, I have two also for two different reasons. The first one is um, Stephanie Block. She last year won a Tony for um, whatever the top Tony is. I'm not sure the name of it, but it's best actor, actress, whatever that the one is, whatever the uh-huh. Tony is. She won that last year. She played the lead in the share show. She did a small fundraiser concert 
And it was her, her MD from New York and a band of local session musicians. I have never heard someone sing like this my entire life. It was more like, I, I cannot believe I get to be a part of this, like a Tony award winning singer. Like, come on, like That's literally awesome. she was voted best singer in the world last year. That's basically what that means. So that was unbelievable. And like best mix, like you're just, you're just feeling it and you get all those feels like you were talking about grace. Like that was probably creation fest mixing for Lecrae right when uh, the K2 came out on a profile, you know, 10 o'clock at night at creation fest. It's just like, come on. Yeah. And then watching those videos online, like I went and checked, you know, the hashtags and like just hearing the, even the mix through like Instagram and mono still gave me that like, yes, that was just for <laughs> dope. I feel like we could do a whole MXU on miking Nate's kit. Dude, Nate was the reason I think <laughs> I feel that way. Yeah, yeah he's, he's nasty. It's unbelievable. He's such a good dude too. He was man up. He was awesome. He came out to front of house and had the uh, backline tech play and he came out to listen. It was the first show I'd, I'd mixed with them. And I was doing some things with the snare drum that it wasn't right. Like I was trying to do like a Black Beauty thing to w what looked like a Black Beauty drum. And he was like, no, he's like, Quest Love. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you put the 800 back in, you don't take all that out. So I'd put that in and he's like, that's it. And then he had the second snare that was this super deep. And he's like, John Blackwell. And I'm like, Prince, okay, got it. And then, then we were set. He was like, okay, we're dialed. So he just wanted to make sure those snare drums were right, but it was awesome. That's so cool. He's a gem. He is. Well, folks, we also Man. just set the record for longest podcast. That was a lot, but I hope some of this was helpful. I hope it's interesting. I mean, thank you guys for sending in all these questions. We need to do this again. Maybe we'll do one of these like, you know, once a quarter or something as we move forward because this was fun i love hanging out with you guys yeah yep. ne next time let's uh do it at lee's where we can eat some meats okay we'll do one of these on the tour all together yes a yes. smoker and a grill are going in the trailer i like it oh that's a great idea we got crowder, a crowder did a radio tour going to radio stations and we pulled a smoker behind the bus you, like yes. a you you put a smoker in the trailer or you pull no, we a pulled a smoker burner no it's shaped like a gun like a revolver smoker um <laughs> and uh jeff you know mike ash uh-huh mike ash came and cooked barbecue every day on this radio tour oh my gosh it was that that, amazing that's a dream come true we, we gave the smoker away a couple years ago that is fantastic that's yeah. awesome only crowder so well i love y'all yeah, you too. Actually, we've got some we've got some great episodes coming up. Can't wait to keep you guys engaged with what we're doing and I guess we let the cat out of the bag today so the tour be on the lookout for details. Tickets will be on sale as soon as we can get the details sorted. So, can't wait or for that. Or you can just go and Venmo me right now. It's <laughs> fun. Yeah. yeah. At Dadu. work. At Dadu. <laughs> At Dadu. And um, MXU now is we're so excited about the new content and we're going to be adding new features as well. So if you're not a subscriber to MXU now, I don't know what you're thinking, but sign up, tell your friends, get them signed up. 
But anyway, love you guys. Thanks so much for today. All right, see you guys. See ya.